you would please go ahead and open your Bibles to the, the book of Daniel. It's not been very long ago. My Sunday school class uh, picked up Daniel and began to study Daniel. We did that right before, uh, I guess it was a few weeks before we started in Revelation here in worship. And I love the book of Daniel. Uh, as Josh mentioned, there are tons of stories, good stories, you know, we, we think about uh, when we think about the book of Daniel, three in particular that we're going to talk about tonight. And um, one of the challenges that I, that I find, and, 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 I, and I hope that you guys can appreciate this, when you have a book that is full of as much good story and in, in, in interpreting what God is doing in the lives of men and then giving visions and prophecy and all of that, all of that is packed into Daniel. But the problem is we have a survey that allows us 30 minutes to see. So I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time. I am going to tell you that I'm not going to delve too deep into uh, the prophecies, we will touch on that before we close, but I want us to focus uh, just our, our time tonight on some key things that we see from uh, Daniel's um, exile into Babylon and then the uh, fiery furnace and the uh, lion's den uh, accounts that we have. So the book of Daniel itself uh, the writing, the dates, 540 to 530 BC. Um, the, the book was written by Daniel. And if you don't believe me, you can ask our Lord Jesus Christ. He said so himself in Matthew 24, 15. There, unfortunately, there's been some arguments throughout the years with theologians as to when the book was written and who wrote the book. Uh, some uh, textual critics who, who thought that they, they knew better than the church fathers and our Lord himself said that the book was written way later. It was actually written during uh, you know, the, the second century, kind of right there, kind of to give a summary of what had happened. And it's just kind of looking back, trying to tie those periods of times together. And the prophecies were actually a looking back at what had happened as opposed to a foretelling of what had come. Now, there's lots of problems with that sort of view of things, because number one, our God is omniscient. God knows all things. And so it's not hard for us to read scripture and see God telling someone, hey, this is going to happen, and for us to believe that is yet to occur. Uh, so we don't, we don't struggle with that. But if we begin to say that, oh, well, this is just looking back, then we're, we see people trying to discount God's ability to not only be sovereign in his control of all things, but also to provide that information to men. And so when we read Daniel, we take a conservative view of Daniel. We believe Daniel, uh, as Christ has said, was written by Daniel. We believe that it was written in and around uh, the exile of, of uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is actually their Babylonian names, um, to, uh, to Babylon, and uh, consequently coincides with the fall of Jerusalem. Structured. Uh, we will find that if you were reading an original text that there's actually two languages that are used uh, in the writing of, of this book. So you have verses or uh, chapter one, verse one through chapter two, verse four a, the first part of that, and then uh, that, that is going to be written in Hebrew. and then it picks up in Aramaic. Uh, and Aramaic uh, was like English is of today. English is the language of business. English, English is the language of commerce. Uh, Aramaic would have been that way for uh, the, the people in Daniel's day and time. Uh, and there's a good reason for that, because 
Uh, this book is actually written to Hebrews, but it's also written to Gentiles. Uh, certain things were written in Hebrew for the Hebrews, and the other things are written in Aramaic for, for all to, to read. Uh, it switches back to Hebrew once you get to chapter 8 through the end of the book. Um, as I mentioned, there are, there are multiple uh, accounts of visions, and uh, the, the, one of the wonderful things that I find about reading Daniel, one of the wonderful things that I find about reading Christ's parables is that there are many times where we have this story that is given, or this, this dream this, this, uh, the, and, and with Christ, the parable, and then you have the disciples scratching their heads, right? And then Christ says, here's what it means. Right? And in Daniel, Daniel is troubled by the visions that he is given uh, through the, the second part of the book. And it, they, they wake him in his sleep and he becomes physically ill after some of these dreams because he's so concerned and so worried about what he has seen. But he's given explanation. And the important part of that for us is we're a long time away from when Daniel was written. And we have the benefit of history, both biblical history and human world history, that we can look at what Daniel was told, knowing when the book was written, and then seeing the empires rise that represent the things that Daniel was seeing in visions. Those make for a tremendously interesting study, and I think that while most of the, the prophecies and the visions that he's seen uh, have been fulfilled, as we'll see in a little bit, there are still quite a bit yet to be fulfilled. And Daniel was still told things that as we read, just like we read in our call to worship, they sound like they would fit perfectly in in the book of Revelation. So as we start, let's begin by starting in the beginning of this book, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to read uh, through verse 7 as we get the setup of what is going on here in Daniel. So in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily food portions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Among them, the Judahites, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names, and he gave them the name Belshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. So the setup of the book is this, these fine young men from Jerusalem, these men who were uh, able to learn, who were wise, who were good looking and capable of serving were brought in to serve King Nebuchadnezzar in exile. They were carried way off from their homeland uh, to be taught 
the ways of the Chaldeans. The reason for this is because Nebuchadnezzar needed people that he could use to help keep this newly conquered people subservient. So he chose people from among them to help lead them. And in choosing these men, we see God's hand at work, bringing Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, into the service of King Nebuchadnezzar. One of the key verses in all of Daniel is the very next verse, verse 8. And this is the verse that we're going to use to see the good news of Daniel. So looking at verse 8, it says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. The ESV has a word that I really, really love in, the, in that translation here. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. That word resolved, resolute, a resolute determination that I am not going to defile myself before God. Ladies and gentlemen, this, this evening as we look at this, I, I, I'm, I want us to think about what that means for us to resolve not to defile ourselves in the sight of God. Living in the world that we live in, living in the times in which we live in, living in the culture in which we live in, there are a great many ways for us to abandon our commitments to our Lord and Savior. There are a great many influences that are around us each and every day that are telling us that we should just go along with what society is doing. We should accept the language of society. We should accept the uh, types of relationships that society is accepting. We should accept the way that the world is living. And all of these things are things that we shouldn't even speak against anymore. Because to speak against them is to be hateful. And after all, as Christians, aren't you all about love? But I want you to know, we have to be resolved not to defile ourselves with the world. We have to be resolved not to defile ourselves by adopting things that the world has adopted. We need to be able to stand with God and call sin, sin. And not to do so just to be divisive or to pick fights, but we need to do so in love so that people would not be confused or persuaded to follow after the world or follow and fall into sinfulness. So Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. So there's three things that I, that, that I want, to, want us to, to kind of point out as we look at the rest of this piece of the, the account of Daniel coming into the service of Nebuchadnezzar and then on into um, the, the obedience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these young men had resolved that they would not defile themselves, number one, by remaining faithful in devotion and obedience to God. If we skip down a little bit, we go to verse 17, we see that they are allowed to drink water and eat vegetables. We might know this as a Daniel fast. There's many people who will adopt a Daniel fast in a period of time in life when they're really praying about or really focusing on something. We've talked about fasting. We've talked about prayer and fasting coupled together. This is where the Daniel fast comes from. And after this period of time where they were to be evaluated, verse 17 tells us that they were found to be better. Or starting in 17, we see that they are found to be better than any of the other young men that were brought in. Verse 18 says, at the end of the time when the king uh, had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And guess what? 
there was none among them found to be like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And therefore they stood before the king and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and chanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So by remaining faithful and by resolving not to defile themselves in their devotion and faithfulness and obedience to God, God blessed them. God blessed them by not only making them healthy, making them wise, but putting them in a position where he was going to use them in the kingdom of Babylon. We're going to fast forward a little bit now uh, to chapter 3, and we're going to see our second thing that they had resolved that they would not defile themselves to do. They had resolved not to defile themselves by remaining faithful in worship to God. You guys will recognize this. These are wonderful Sunday school lessons. Some of the most fond, fond Sunday school lessons, I think, as a kid, when you're thinking it's, it's the fiery furnace, it's Daniel in the lion's den, those are the jams of kids' Sunday school, right? Kids love those lessons, right? Uh, and we should love them as well. That's why I love Daniel so much is because it not only is it teaching that God is going to protect and provide, but it's also teaching us that we need to be faithful in, in worshiping God. And so in this story, Nebuchadnezzar has set up a 90-foot-tall golden statue. And this, this follows a dream that, that, that he's had and has been interpreted by Daniel but Nebuchadnezzar puts this, puts this statue up and he commands all people to bow down and worship the statue. And so he gets together musicians and when they play the music, they're all supposed to bow down and worship except for three guys who said, absolutely not. We will not bow. We are going to remain faithful in worship to God, the only God. Well, as you can imagine, and as you know the story, I'm sure, Nebuchadnezzar becomes furious. And in chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. So these men are brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe lyre, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar had no idea who he was dealing with. He was not dealing with three obstinate Jewish guys, right? He was not dealing with just three guys who said, we're not bowing down to that because we're, we're sort of only supposed to worship. These guys were resolved. They knew what the consequence was. And they answered him, absolutely not. The answer that they give him is so inspiring for the Christian, especially for the Christians who are living in places in this world where the gospel is not accepted. It is not allowed. It is closed. It is against the law. It means you can lose everything that you own because you believe what God's word says and you believe in the creator God. For the martyr, this is the inspiration. This is is how you deal with tyrants who try to prevent the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So how do they respond? Chapter 3, 16. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These men knew the cost. It was going to cost them their lives. And they were depending upon God to save them. They were depending upon God to come to their aid and to stand in and prevent them from dying in the fiery furnace or potentially even being placed in their fiery furnace. But they knew that if, if that didn't happen, that it wasn't God's will. And they were perfectly fine with that because they knew that they would be with God if he chose not to stop it from happening here on earth. And they were going to remain faithful. So what happens? Nebuchadnezzar heats the furnace hotter than it's ever been heated before. He, the, the, the men bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they throw them in. The men throwing them in because the furnace is so hot, they die just putting them in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar eventually will look and see four men walking one of them looking like the son of God. God does exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have said. He has come to their aid. And they come out of the fiery furnace, folks, and he, he says he doesn't even smell smoke on them. They're not singed. Their hair's not singed, is what Scripture tells us. And how does Nebuchadnezzar respond? He responds exactly how he should. He praises God. In chapter 4, we see Nebuchadnezzar writing to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. I say that's an understatement considering what he has just witnessed. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. God has done this, not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God has done it. God has provided, and God is now receiving the glory from a pagan. Praise God for that. Thirdly, we're going to turn our attention now to the lion's den. And I see that we are to resolve not to defile ourselves by remaining faithful in prayer. In chapter 6, which is where this, this account occurs in verse 25. King Darius has, has written, uh, 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 actually we're gonna get to 25 in a second, but King Darius has written a proclamation because he was, he, he was told that people should pray to him and not to any other gods, they should pray to him. And he writes this command and these guys that get King Darius to write this command realize that Daniel prays three times a day. And so they do this because they're trying to get rid of this guy, Daniel, who's been blessed by God and has been set over top of most of the kingdom. And so Daniel does exactly what every Christian who is resolved not to defile themselves by remaining faithful to God in prayer would do. He goes right back to praying three times a day. He never stops. He continues to pray. Regardless of what his government said to do, he is not going to disobey God. And as he prays, the guys who are watching for him to pray have him brought before the king. And as we know, he is bound. 
King Darius seeks ways to save him from being put in the lion's den, but he is still placed in the lion's den. And God sends an angel to shut the mouths of the lions, and Daniel survives his night in the lion's den, not because he's super fast, not because he climbed up on a, a little cliff inside the, the lion's den and was able to escape their claws and their, their teeth. He escaped it because God sent an angel and shut the mouths of the lions. And in shutting the mouths of the lions, he protected and preserved the man who had resolved himself to be faithful to God in prayer. And bringing him out, we see something similar. Guess what? King Darius recognizes the supernatural event that has taken place. In verse 25, which is what I made reference to a second ago, King Darius writes to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. And he is now getting ready to give glory to God. He said, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And yet again, a pagan is glorifying God, giving God the honor for what he has done through his mighty works in the life of those who have resolved not to devile themselves before him. Daniel turns after these accounts and he has the visions. And as I mentioned, we're not going to get super deep in the visions, but one thing that, that, I, that I do want us to, to see in these visions is that some of them, in the same way that we see in Revelation, it's sometimes telling the same story in a different way, or the vision is the same vision of something that's to occur, but it's given in a little bit of a different way. And at times there's additional detail given. We see that as we've looked in our study of Revelation and we've seen uh, the trumpets and the bowls and things like that occur, how, how they, they, they are, are given and we learn more as we go through about what God is going to do. We also see in scripture, there are times in Daniel where Daniel is told not to write down the things that he sees. That is because God has shown him something, but he has told him to bind that up or to seal that up and not show it. God has given us the information that he has given us because that's what he has wanted us, he, he's wanted us to have. He has preserved his word because we have what he has wanted us to have. So in the visions, as we study those, and I do encourage you to read these because not only are they fascinating, but they give us some glimpses into how to rightly read and understand both prophetic scripture but also uh, a, a end times or es eschatology, you know, or view towards what's, what's being done in Revelation. As we look and try to understand those things, Daniel helps us by showing us a vision that has been fulfilled. Not that all of them have been fulfilled, but many of the visions in Daniel have been fulfilled. There's a vision of four beasts. Those four beasts represent four kingdoms. They represent kingdoms that are soon to come. There's a vision of a ram and goat, and there's a discussion of a little horn. Now, when we start to talk about animals with horns and things like that, hopefully your minds are going to our Sunday morning services not too long ago, talking about uh, the, the dragon and the horns and things like that. But Daniel's visions 
relate to not only kingdoms and uh, peoples, but they relate to what God is going to do and how God is going to work to bring about his ultimate purpose, which is the salvation, not only of the Jewish nation, but also the Gentiles. As Daniel would have these visions, he, he, was, he was regularly, as I mentioned earlier, sickened, and he would pray and ask for uh, understanding, and he was frequently given understanding as he had these visions. Our call to worship scripture this evening is one vision that I want us to take a look at just for a minute because I believe it is one that we are yet to see. This prophecy has not been fulfilled in the rise of Greece. It's not been fulfilled in Alexander the Great. We could go into how certain animals and certain kingdoms were represented by in these visions, but this vision that we're talking about here is the good news of Daniel. In Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14, we're given a vision of the Son of Man. And so let's read in verse, or Daniel uh, chapter 7, verse 13. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. This is a picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe when we read this, as I was saying earlier, you could, if you transplanted this and put this in Revelation, this would be right at home with the coming of our Lord in Revelation. Daniel has given us not only a glimpse and a vision of things that were soon to happen, but he has given us a vision of something that was going to happen at the end of all things. And I think in that, the encouragement for us this evening as we wait for this day when the Son of Man will come in the clouds and be given dominion and power and a kingdom that will not pass away, and we look towards that day, we look for that day, we are to take example from Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we must resolve ourselves not to defile ourselves before God. We are to be faithful in our following after our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be faithful in worshiping him and him alone, worshiping the one true God. And we are to be faithful in prayer, seeking God's leadership and guidance in our lives, seeking his help in our times of need. We are to be resolved, just as Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego were, as we look for the coming of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please join me as we pray and close. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the book of Daniel. Lord, we thank you for all that you have shown us through his life and the visions that he sees, Lord. And we thank you for how you have worked and provided protection for him and for Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. We pray, Lord, that as we look at those things, that we too would be resolved to be dedicated to you and to you alone. Regardless of the challenges that we may face, regardless of 
the, the barriers that are put in front of us, regardless, Lord, of, of the consequences to us personally, I pray that we would be solely focused on being faithful to you. We ask, Lord, that you would lead us in this, that you would encourage us, that you would give us, you would give us faith, that you would give us resolve to serve you and you alone. We pray that you would be with us now. Lead us and guide us, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.